Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to another edition of Solutions Watch. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorporateReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here in May of 2023. And this week on Solutions Watch, we're going to talk about a problem that we all know about. I mean, we all know about the dangers of a potential technocratic, dystopian, nightmare future society where everywhere you go at all times... Everything you do is being tracked, monitored, and databased in real time. Everywhere you go, everyone you meet is being logged via the auspices of your tracking slave device, a.k.a. Fondle Slab, a.k.a. your phone. Well, wait, actually, oh, that dystopian nightmare reality is already here. But actually, it's even worse than that. Because at the very least, you could leave your tracking device at home and wander around freely don't have to worry about being tracked and databased, surveilled, monitored, and otherwise infringed upon by any governmental or other authorita- authorities, right? Well, wrong. Because as long as you take your face with you, you're still being tracked. Critics say a controversial startup poses a new and profound threat to everyone's privacy. A company called Clearview AI has the largest known facial recognition database of images in the U.S., larger than the FBI's. The company is run by this man, Juan Tontat. He's the eccentric founder of Clearview AI, a privately owned company that promises the most comprehensive image search solutions in the world. I want to find out how many pictures the system could find of me. You take a selfie, take any face you want. Wow, and instantly, yeah, that just comes up. But as you scroll down, there'll be photos that were, you know, less similar. Or if you see a plus one, yeah, this is all me. Clearview scours the internet for images. A powerful algorithm compares size, shape, and distance between facial features to find potential matches. I don't know where that is. It's wild how many pictures are just out there on on the open web. The search finds pictures I've literally never seen before. I'm in the back of someone's profile picture and it still finds me. Fascinating. And it's picked me up because I am right in the back there. It doesn't need to be a picture that you uploaded or your friends uploaded. Yeah. It's just if you're in the back of a picture, you can still be found. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really surreal, accurate technology. How many images is this scraping? How many images are in the database? So the, in the database, there's about 30 billion images. Because yeah. I guess the debate is, yeah. some people say this is just Google for faces, and mm-hmm. other people say this is going to change privacy as we know it. Mm-hmm. It's both. I mean, it, it really is Google for faces. That's exactly how it works. But I do think it is a big change in the fact that um, people can be identified with just a photo. And what we're trying to do is figure out what is the most compelling pro-social use case And I think for law enforcement and government usage, it's a total game changer in the ability to keep us, all all of us, safe together. So what this technology is trying to do is make it possible to be able to uh, identify who someone is from a partial image or basically something that wouldn't have been able to produce a positive facial recognition match before. And the reason people don't like this is when you uploaded, you know, your like Facebook or Instagram photos, you probably weren't intending this guy to grab them and stick them into some uh, some program that they, was going to be sold to the U.S. Army. It's Clear crazy. AI scrapped 30 billion images from Facebook and other social media sites and gave them to cops. Oh my God. 
yeah, puts me into a perpetual stuff. police lineup. Oh, so no more of so that. They're AI not in the system. They're is, not in the system. Look at that. 30 billion images from Facebook and social media sites what? and gave them to police. So now they have your name and your face. So if you have a fake ID, if you, you, know, you get pulled over, they know exactly who you are. And they can run that through some computer that has a database. Oh, you didn't know about Clearview AI yet? Well, you probably should. I think it's an important piece of the puzzle if we want to come up with some sort of solution to the problem of constant facial surveillance everywhere you go, everyone you meet being detailed, database tracked, and snarfed up by this private company that is, oh yeah, working with police and military. <laughs> what could go wrong? So if you don't know about it, I will direct you to activistpost.com, which had an article up about this uh, last month when it was revealed that Clearview AI copied 30B, that is billion, images without users' permission from social media sites. Customers include more than 3,100 U.S. agencies. Awesome. So uh, it goes on to cite a Business Insider report, which noted at the time that this was breaking, a controversial facial recognition database used by police departments across the nation was built in part with 30 billion photos the company scraped from Facebook and other social media users without their permission or knowledge, the company's CEO recently admitted, creating what critics called a perpetual police lineup, even for people who haven't done anything wrong. The company, Clearview AI, boasts of its potential for, well, identifying pl um, political wrong thinkers involved with ginned up false flag attacks, uh, helping Epstein and his political associates abuse and exploit children, um, and to being com conveniently non-locatable or no data found when people are wrongfully accused of crimes. Oh, wait, maybe that's not quite the way the article reads, but that's what it should read. Uh, but critics point to privacy violations and wrongful arrests fueled by faulty identifications made by facial recognition, including cases in Detroit and New Orleans, as cause for concern over the technology, which is just such a measly-mouthed, horrible way. Uh, I'm not blaming activist post here, but Business Insider, for the way they frame that. And I will point back to the Revelations Radio News podcast, where I know Tim and Andrew have often talked about the way they frame the... the there are critics, those privacy advocates, who say that this might be a problem. Anyway, now let's go continue talking on about it. As if you're crazy and marginalized, and you're this special class of people if you have concerns over this. Anyway, that being to the side, the point is the 30 billion photos that have been scraped from Facebook and Insta and wherever else people are posting their photos. And if you, if you don't truly appreciate how really and truly creepy this is, I would suggest you watch some of the many, many videos that have been done on this, even from mainstream outlets that are obviously trying to announce this technology to the public under the guise of, hmm, this looks concerning. Well, anyway... <laughs> And now, and now the weather. Um, but yeah, you should see some of the, the videos of people discovering photos of themselves that they never knew, where it's like, oh, that person in the background of that, that person's profile photo on Twitter. Oh yeah, that, that is me. Wow. I, oh, I must've been walking through there that day when they took that picture and it accurately identified me. It is creepy and getting creepier by the day. And yes, it is of course being given to law enforcement police authorities and government and whoever else wants them for the purposes of, say, identifying the uh, people in the crowd at 
um, January 6th or other ginned up false flag events. Interesting, isn't it? And unfortunately, of course, it isn't just the third party private corporations that are totally just doing this. I mean, it's not government guys. They're just giving all this data to police and military. Or selling it, more accurately. But anyway, no, it's not just that. It's it's pervasive. It's everywhere. It's all over the place right now. You'd have to be l- trying to avoid it. TSA is testing facial recognition at more airports, raising privacy concerns from those darned pesky privacy advocates, right? A passenger walks up to an airport security checkpoint, slips an ID card into a slot, and looks into a camera atop a small screen. The screen flashes photo complete, and the person walks through, all without having to hand over their identification to the TSA officer sitting behind the screen. It's all part of a pilot project by the Transportation Security Administration to assess the use of facial recognition technology at a number of airports across the country. What we're trying to do with this is aid the officers to actually determine that you are who you say you are. Uh, said Jason Lim, Identity Management Capabilities Manager, blah, blah, blah. If all of that reads like a press release for this technology, hmm, I wonder who's paying who for this coverage from the Associated Press. Anyway, yes. Oh, I guess there are some privacy advocates that they might cite halfway down the article in one paragraph and then move on. But yeah, and the interesting part about this, of course, is not that this is some brand new technology that, wow, we just developed this yesterday, guys. No, of course not. Why have you been required for decades now to have specifically digital photo in uh, for your, your passport, for your driver's license, what have you? It's precisely because that is what works for these this type of facial recognition technology. It has been working for many years. They've been doing this in various capacities. Now they're putting it in the front-facing part of the public. Um, I so that the public can be trained into it in the the prisoner indoctrination training camps that are the airports, which is where all of this type of technology is rolled out first, so that people can become acclimatized to it. Um, but and and where does it go after that? Once it spreads out of the airports? Oh well, how about your local store? Of course. Again, coming from activist post from uh, this past March. FaceWatch gets UK Code of Practice certification for live retail facial recognition. Talking about FaceWatch's live facial recognition for retail theft prevention has been declared compliant with the UK's Surveillance Camera Code of Practice, SCCP. (laughs) What an interesting acronym the company has announced. And yes, for those who don't know, there is a surveillance camera code of practice. Don't worry, guys. This facial recognition technology has the UK government's stamp of approval. And what does that mean? Oh, it means that by successfully engaging with the professional accreditation bodies and my certification scheme, an organization, and more importantly, the public, may be reassured that surveillance camera systems which intrude upon their privacy are being demonstrably operated ethically and legitimately to an appropriate standard. And who gets to set that up? appropriate standard. Don't worry. There's a, there's an SCCP that's taking care of it. Don't worry, guys. Big brother is there to love you. Um, well, anyway, this is happening and increasingly so, and good thing there's too much retail theft these days. And the only way to do it, get rid of that is to have facial recognition and ultimately to be able to identify who everyone is in every crowd at all times so that crime will never take place again, right? This is how this works. And, oh, oh, well, I guess it could be used for other uses as well, in other countries as well, not just the US, not just the UK. Iran uses new surveillance network to crack down on women not wearing a hijab. Uh, The Iranian police said that they have started installing cameras, cameras in public places to identify women in violation of the strict headscarf law. 
The police said that women not wearing the hijab, headscarf, identified by the cameras, would be sent warning text messages as to the consequences. According to the police, the cameras would prevent resistance against the hijab law. Well, let's use our imagination to imagine. What if, what if a government or anywhere used this to, uh, for, to enforce any sort of arbitrary law that they come up with? Uh-oh. I, you, you had a hate crime there. there. There was somebody who said a hate word. They misgendered someone and it's caught on camera. Now let's use the facial recognition to find out who that was. At any rate, again, whatever scenario you think about, whatever side of whatever political debate you're on, you should always, always, of course, think about this ta- power, this technology in the hands of your most hated political rival, because it will end up there one day and it will be used against you to enforce whatever law happens to be on the books at that particular time. As I say, this is concerning, and I think I would imagine most of the Corporate Report audience probably is at least aware of these dangers, if not aware of just how this is not some future potential scenario. It's already happening. But at any rate, it's certainly something to think about. But this is not Problems Watch, of course. This is Solutions Watch. So we have a very, very sticky problem here, because, as I say, with the surveillance device that is the phone that you you actually purchase and that you decide to carry around with you and could decide to leave at home, well, you can't decide to leave your face at home. So what do you do about the problem of facial recognition and unaccountable third-party private entities and governments and whoever else knowing everything about who you are and where you are and what you're doing, presumably? Um, that is a problem, right? So what do we do about that problem? What is the solution? Well, let's start examining some things that are on the table. Um, one of which we will derive from a source that should be familiar to people who remember my recent conversation here on Solutions Watch with Michael Bolden, not Boldrin, Michael Bolden of 10thamendmentcenter.com, where we talked about nullification and various nullification Um, bills and strategies that were moving through various state legislatures and others, and just the overall idea of nullification. Um, And I know there was a lot of positive response, people saying that they had just discovered the 10th Amendment Center through that conversation. I'm very glad to hear it. So you've probably been to 10thamendmentcenter.com and explored their archives and especially their featured articles and their blog and news, uh, in which case you've probably encountered the writing of Well, there are various bloggers, including, of course, Michael Bolden, but also Mike Meharry, which, again, I hope is a name that will ring familiar with the audience, because I have talked to Mike a number of times about Nullify the NSA, for example, but I've also talked to him about facial recognition pushback. Yes, we were talking on this very issue three, just over three years ago, just before in the before times, shall we say, just before the scandemic craziness started, we had this conversation to kick off the new year 2020. And we were talking at that time about various things that were going through legislatively um, as pushback against facial recognition technologies and its deployment by police forces. So that is a good conversation, very pertinent to this particular um, Solutions Watch. So I will direct you there if you don't remember that or if you didn't see it at the time. I think it is a good conversation, but hey, that conversation is three years old now, right? So that's that, that was then. This is now. What's happening now? And so I recently had the chance to talk, once again, to Mike Meharry about this subject of facial recognition pushback. What is the state of it right now? Um, what is happening in the, on the legislative front um, with regards to pushback of this? 
are we seeing any successes with regard to chaining government and the use of uh, government, the government's use of this facial recognition technology? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's it's a mixed bag, I think, is the best way to describe where we are. Uh, I think there is still a lot of concern out there. There is still some pushback um, at the state legislative level. Um, In particular, we recently saw a bill passed in Montana that uh, has some pretty robust limitations on using facial recognition. Um, I think it's interesting. I think California may actually give you kind of the best overview. Uh, It's kind of a microcosm of what's going on. On the one hand, uh, there is a bill moving forward that would uh, extend a ban on the use of facial recognition using police body cameras that went into effect three or four years ago that's about to sunset, uh, and that's looking like it has a good shot of passing. On the other hand, there's another bill that's moving through the California legislature that uh, purports to be kind of a uh, uh, limit on facial recognition surveillance, but in actuality, if you actually look at the uh, provisions in it, would give police wide latitude to use facial recognition. Uh, Fortunately, Uh, California has a very strong network and coalition of folks that are opposing this, so it it is at least being brought to the light of day. Uh, The last I heard, it was getting shaky whether this was going to pass as is, so that's that's good news. But it kind of shows you how things work, even in a state like California, where folks tend to be rather on facial recognition and other surveillance, even there. Uh, the the police lobbies are managing to um, continue to try to push forward with expanding the use of this uh, technology, and you know just kind of generally uh, speaking, I, I think the bigger problem right now is we're starting to see this this kind of uh, molding together of public and private facial recognition. Where you know police aren't necessarily having to even go get the technology. They can just go to these these big uh, surveillance companies. This is the same thing is happening in in uh, uh, license plate reading and, and all kinds of surveillance technology. But they go to these private in, uh, entities, enter into contracts with them, and just use the data. And so I think moving forward, what we really need to see, those of us who are worried about privacy and, and the overuse of this kind of technology, is we're really going to need to see some wedges placed in between government and private sector in terms of uh, government's ability to uh, access this stuff. But you know, ultimately, what we need to see is we need to see every state, every locality limit the use of facial recognition to a warrant. I think that's just kind of the minimum – uh, uh, protection that we sh- as citizens, I hate the term citizens, but we'll use it here, uh, that, that we should expect. Um, but as is always the case with law enforcement, they want no limits whatsoever, and they're going to run around and they're going to tell you if they don't have this technology, you can't use it unlimitedly, we're going to have terrorists and pedophiles running around in the streets, which between you and me is kind of absurd, but that's what they'll tell you. So that's kind of where we are. I mean, I don't know that the the landscape has changed a lot in the three years since we passed. There is still concern out there. There are still people pushing back against it. But I think the overall momentum is kind of towards the side of government and law enforcement where they just keep rolling it out, rolling it out, rolling it out. And 
the activists that are trying to stop it are, are almost playing a defensive game as opposed to a, a more offensive game. So um, really more needs to be done. But I think the bigger problem is that a lot of average people just don't care. And they don't recognize that this is a threat. They don't see it as being something that's going to intrude upon them, uh, even though it very easily could. Um, interesting little sidelight story. There was a, a lawyer in in New York City who was trying to get into – I can't remember. It was Madison, uh, Madison Square Garden or uh, Radio City Music Hall. It was one of the venues there in New York City. And uh, was getting settled in her seat and then was then escorted out. And apparently facial recognition picked her up. She was on a list of people that were banned from entering into that venue uh, because it so happened that her law firm was engaged in a lawsuit against the company that owned the venue. Uh, so this is how this stuff can progress. That's a private uh, use of this kind of technology. But the same kind of thing happens in government realm. You know, you hone in on some important issues, one of which is that if people don't care about this issue, then the status quo will continue and the momentum will be on the side of the state to increase its powers of surveillance um, as usual. So let's let's look at the other side of that coin. And in fact, this was an issue that did come up. I was just re-listening to our, our conversation from three years ago, and we did specifically address the specter of the private sector using this facial recognition and maybe the government you, uh, latching on to some of that data. And we did talk about that. And you said, I'm not concerned about, well, I, I'm not philosophically concerned about Walmart uh, using facial recognition to sell me this or that product. Um, it's when they combine with government that it becomes a problem, which is why you said that in some of the bills that we were talking about at that time, specific language was in there supposedly to prevent government from using third-party databases of information. Um, I'm looking at that Montana bill that you were talking about um, that just passed um, from your uh, article on it. Montana passes bill to limit warrantless use of facial recognition technology, talking about Senate Bill 397, which just passed, that apparently is an outright ban on continuous facial surveillance defined as the monitoring of public places or third-party image sets using facial recognition technology for facial identification, third-party image sets. So theoretically, things like Clearview AI and the 30 billion images they've scraped from Facebook and Instagram and who knows where else would not be available to law enforcement in Montana if this proceeds. Is that correct? Right. I think it's important to note, though, that this is really the Montana bill is kind of a first step. So it is limiting what they call continuous surveillance. So in other words, they can't set up a camera on the corner that's continuously scanning everybody that walks by or, uh, you know, say there's some type of rally. You know, uh, let's say there's a Second Amendment rally. Uh, they can't continuously scan that audience using facial recognition. It does not necessarily stop police from using facial recognition um, in an investigationary uh, capacity in in comparing photos from a crime to those kind of data sets. So it's a start. There are some limits, but it's not an absolute limit on on facial recognition. And sadly, we're to the point that I think the police lobbies in most places are strong enough that you're not going to see full bans on facial recognition. Uh, the best we can hope for is is warrant requirements um, and and some limits surrounding facial recognition. 
Um, but so Montana is a good first step, though, and, and I don't want to downplay that because um, you've got to take the first step before you can take the second. And Thomas Jefferson wisely said that the ground of liberty is to be gained by inches. So we take what we can and then we try to build upon that as we move forward into the future. Yeah, that's the realistic approach that I think people need to have in mind here. We're not going to win everything all at once and it's not going to be some dramatic battle. It is going to be a game of inches. And you're, you know, it's interesting. I read right over continuous. I just thought, oh, a ban on facial, sur- no, a ban <laughs> right. on continuous facial surveillance. Yeah, so they always get you with the the words and the trickery. Interesting. Um, so what would you say to the skeptical people in the crowd? like myself, <laughs> who thinks that asking the government to basically limit its own powers is, is a bit of a chump's game. <laughs> um, I, I, do, do we have examples of this, even not in the facial recognition field, but in other fields, actually, truly carving out a space for freedom? <laughs> Absolutely. The, so I mentioned the uh, ban on facial recognition coupled with police body cameras uh, that was passed in California a number of years ago. Immediately after that bill passed, the San Diego Police Department completely scrapped a facial recognition program that they had going uh, that was going to be in violation of this of this ban. So I'm with you. I'm skeptical of government monitoring itself, but that's the only tool we really have in the toolbox, right? It's it's the only way that we can proceed forward and make any practical changes. We can't wish it away. Uh, it's going to happen. So this is the, the path that we can take. And it does work when there is you know, a, a strong piece of legislation along with oversight. And I think that oversight is important. And I mentioned the fact that in California, they have a very, very strong coalition of privacy advocates that work together. It's 50, 60 different groups, very large coalition of different – you got – Groups that are uh, focused on immigration, you know, it's just it's a weird coalition of people that go from the left to the right that are concerned about surveillance that are pushing this forward. And what they do is they not only work in the legislatures to push things forward, they're also doing open records requests. They're monitoring the way police are, are using the technology. They're looking for violations of the law and then using the available remedies uh, to to try to push back when you know, government ignores its own rules. So it really comes down to human action when you get down to it, not just passing a bill. You're right. We can't trust politicians. We can't trust government bureaucrats to just say, oh, we've got these rules, so we're going to behave. No, you have to keep on them. You have to have the oversight. But when there is that public pressure, when you have people showing up to city council meetings, when you have people filing lawsuits, when you have people making open records requests and uncovering the malfeasance, then you can actually have some success in limiting what the government's doing. And I think California, very good example of this because they have such a robust, ongoing, uh, and very tenacious coalition of folks that are that are doing the boots on the ground work. You know, it's almost like freedom isn't a left or right issue. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. What a, what a strange idea in these times. Well, anyway, it, that is good to hear. And uh, yeah, we need to build coalitions like that everywhere of people who are concerned about this issue. And I think more people would be concerned about it if they were 
aware of it for for one thing, let alone really aware of all of its context and and its ultimate implications, which is starting to dawn on some people when it comes to things like Clearview and its incredible power to find images of you that you didn't even know existed. You're in the background of someone's profile photo on on Facebook or something. And, oh yeah, that's, that is me. I, I didn't know that was me. Yeah, it's, it's getting creepy and it will only it get very creepier creepy. from here, um, presumably. So I think people should definitely be aware of this issue. Anyway, we've covered quite a bit of the ground. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring to the table? Yeah, I'd like to, to kind of mention the, that how... You need to be concerned now and don't think, well, you know, if it gets worse down the road, then I'll worry about it. And, I, and I'm going to give a specific example. I lived in Lexington, Kentucky for quite a while. In fact, probably when we were, well, maybe not. Um, but up until uh, 2018, 2019, I lived in Lexington, Kentucky. It was very involved in local activism uh, against what I saw at that time as the beginning of some pretty dangerous and aggressive surveillance um, policies in that city and ended up finding out that they had some secret, uh, what they called mobile surveillance cameras, which as it turns out, amounted to cameras that they could mount on street lights or, um, that were disguised as utility boxes. Um, and when I was involved in this, I actually ended up in a lawsuit because of open records requests. It was this, it was, it was, it was quite the drama, right? Most people didn't care pretty much ignored me. We were trying to push, uh, me and a small group of, of other activists, we were trying to push forward a, um, a piece of legislation that all it would have done was created oversight and transparency. It would have required the city council in Lexington to uh, approve any surveillance technology before it was implemented. Seems like a basic, nobody was interested. Fast forward to the last six months, it turns out now the Lexington Police Department has entered into an agreement with Flock, which is uh, the uh, the uh, license plate reader equivalent to what we're talking about with um, with uh, facial recognition. And they've now put over 200 license plate tracking cameras all around Lexington, uh, mostly in uh, minority neighborhoods, incidentally. And now everybody is just outraged that this has happened. And I'm sitting over here saying, I told you this was going to happen four years ago, five years ago. You didn't care then. So the lesson here is that you have to nip it in the bud. When you see that first step over the line or that first step toward the line even, you have got to take action then. Because if you don't, it's just going to grow. And then it's going to get to the point where all of a sudden you've got 250 license plate cameras tracking you all over your city, and it's too late to do anything about it. So I really just tell that story to emphasize that when it comes to surveillance or anything that the government is doing, it's imperative to act now. Don't wait. Don't think, well, it's not that bad. It's probably not going to be a problem. It is going to be a problem. If you are the least bit nervous, now it's going to be a bigger problem later. Once again, that is Mike Meharry at the Tenth Amendment Center, tenthamendmentcenter.com, which will obviously be linked in the show notes as well as those articles of his on this subject that we were referring to there. 
and as well as the State of the Nullification Movement report that is available from Tenth Amendment Center that Michael Bolden talked about when he was on the program. Some very important information there, and I think you will agree that that conversation teases out a number of important points about the overall conversation about facial recognition pushback. Yes, there are things happening on the legislative level that is pushing back, and at least theoretically, at least supposedly, at least legally, trying to tie the hands of law enforcement and government uh, to use this facial recognition unless they have a warrant, etc., etc. And as he says, it's unlikely you're going to get any stronger than that. But hey, it's better than nothing. And it certainly is a start. And as when we put these things in legal language, then at the very least, theoretically, the Government can be held accountable to those actions, etc., etc. Yes, but as I say, I'm highly skeptical, as you might imagine, of the idea that the legislative tack on this is going to be the tack to take. Yes, as I've always said and continue to say, push every button you can, whatever button you think is going to be useful, push it, do it. I'm not dissuading anyone from taking any action or supporting any political or legislative action on this matter, certainly. But as as Mike Meharry says, as I f- obviously 100% agree with, it's going to require more than that. At any rate, I think we can all agree it's going to require more than that. It's going to require that people be informed on this issue, and then it's going to take human action, as Mike Meharry rightly says. So what kind of action can be taken? Well, there are ways to thwart fool spoof this technology in various ways. Hey, it is technology, which means that it is dumb in certain ways and can be spoofed. It can be fooled. It can be tricked. How so? Well, we only have to turn to the Hong Kong protests of a few years ago to get some idea. So, for example, Futurism.com had this up back during those umbrella protests back in the before times. Uh, Hong Kong protesters use lasers to block facial recognition tech, where they note that since early June, an estimated 1 million people, and this is 2019, obviously, have taken to the streets of Hong Kong to protest a bill that would allow extraditions to China. To avoid identification, many of the Hong Kong protesters cover their faces. But, according to a new report, some have begun shining high-powered lasers directly at surveillance cameras, a high-tech protest strategy intended to confuse stupid facial recognition systems. So, uh, you can see some of the footage of this and what it looks like. Are these are these protesters engaging in a rave, trying to get the police officers to dance with them or something? No, this is a strategy to try to trick the cameras and to stop them from being able to identify people in the crowd. And apparently, apparently, it is effective, at least on some systems, some of the time. And your mileage may vary. I don't know. Uh, it's a pro- it's a, a tactic that has been used. But then again, if it's being openly talked about and even promoted in mainstream media, could be the case that, well, actually, they've got tech that can get around this, and they're just saying, hey, guys, look at this potential. Anyway, that's a conspiracy theory. I don't have any proof of that at this point, but it's, a, it's something to think about. Um, on the other side of that coin, hey, this is against the dastardly Chicoms, at least in this particular narrative where they're painting them in the bad light. So maybe they're trying to say they're trying to actually promote something that would help against that technology. Anyway, there's a lot of strategy to this, but hey, it's something. So one way of spoofing cameras, shining lasers at them. Another way, um, similarly fighting tech with tech or relatively low tech, capable or capable 
I don't know how they're going to pronounce this. I've never listened to any of their marketing, so I don't know. But anyway, this company is designing clothing that is specifically designed to spoof the facial recognition cameras. And how do they do this? Well, first of all, they say that uh, in their manifesto collection, uh, the first design collection that offers knitted garments that shield facial recognition in a world where data is the new oil. Where have I heard that before? Capable addresses the issue of privacy, opening the discussion on the importance of protection from the misuse of biometric recognition cameras, a problem that's become increasingly prevalent present in our daily lives involving citizens around the world, and that if neglected could freeze the rights of the individual, including freedom of expression, association, and free movement in public spaces. So what's the answer to this? Funny-looking clothes, pants, crop tops, dresses, hoodies, t-shirts, sweaters, pants, etc. Why? Well, apparently this technology is such that it is specifically designed to confuse the facial recognition cameras. People wearing the Manifesto Collection garments are not recognized as such by YOLO. You only live once? I don't know. The system recognizes dogs, zebras, giraffes, or small knitted people inside the fabric. As shown in the images, the faces of the models wearing capable garments is not inside the red box. Uh, bounding boxes. The goal is achieved. So the bounding box is here and it's seeing a zebra and it's not seeing this person's face. Whereas obviously the person not wearing the garments, it sees that face very clearly. At least that's the theory. The manifesto collection was created to create a, a, a created to create what terrible copywriting anyway created to create awareness of the risks associated with the improper use of facial recognition technology. Blah, blah, blah. Why knitwear? Knitwear gives texture and wearability as well as makes the design more durable than a printed one. Knitwear is practical and comfortable, blah, blah, blah. And then it has this algorithm that shields facial recognition integrated into the texture designed to be worn without losing effectiveness. So it makes you look like a giraffe, according to this technology or whatever, whatever print you're wearing, um, which is humorous uh it would also (laughs) certainly make you stand out in a crowd wouldn't it so you might you might fool the facial recognition cameras and even then i'm not vouching for this i don't know that that's true that's what they're claiming anyway but even if it does fail the cameras well at any rate you're not exactly going to blend into the crowd unless everyone's wearing this and then i guess maybe you could have a crowd of people wearing this anyway i don't know it's an idea that's out there and uh, your mileage will vary. I am certainly not vouching for this company or this clothing. It's just an idea that I've seen out there. So if anyone knows the specifics about how useful this really is and whether it really does work, it's certainly something to think about. Um, At any rate, these are some of the techie kind of solutions that people are coming up with, fight tech with tech. And hey, it's uh, something that we can and should be at least looking into as we're thinking about this, but we don't necessarily need high-tech, fancy, uh, fancy schmancy knitwear and or lasers and or other things to fool this technology. Perhaps there's much simpler way of dealing with the cameras that are increasingly monitoring everything you're doing and everywhere you're going. Why not some old-fashioned simple sabotage? Mr. Bunny, hard at work during the past 24 hours. In addition to his usual duties, he apparently targeted photo radar cameras in Tempe. ABC 15's Tim Vetcher shows us how the bunny managed to shut one of the cameras down for hours. Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Before he headed out to hide eggs across the valley, the Easter Bunny spent his Saturday night hiding a photo radar camera in Tempe. It's all a scam. 
Shelton videotaped the prank and then uploaded it to YouTube. Please. Walking down University Rural, and I heard there was going to be an Easter Bunny going down there, so I figured I'd go tape him. The 90-second clip shows someone dressed in the costume walk up to a red light camera at the intersection of Rural and University in Tempe. The bunny, who Shelton won't identify, takes a giant egg and places it over the camera, rendering it useless. The Easter Bunny, I guess he was hopping mad about the fraud going on, about the photo radar, so he hopped around and it took this big egg and stuck it on top of the... Uh, the photo radar uh, scammer. Well, it's an idea. And for more on the simple sabotage idea, I hope you do know that is a reference to a previous edition of Solutions Watch, which I suggest you check out, which might give some more ideas along the path of what we can do, not just in this situation, but with a number of the problems that we face. Although, to be fair, that is only one part of the problem at this point. Yes, there are the facial recognition cameras that are identifiable and that could be well, visited by the Easter Bunny, as it were. But, unfortunately, the point of threats like the Clearview AI threat is that it's absolutely everybody walking around with their own surveillance devices, taking their own individual, private pictures, which they then post to their social media, which then get scraped, which then get put into the police database. So, unfortunately, it is... Certainly not going to be the be-all and end-all solution to simply just get rid of those facial recognition cameras that are being plastered up around various places. Because everyone's walking around with their own surveillance tools. And that, of course, is why we have to come back to the point that if people are not aware of this problem and, at the very least, conscious of the fact that they are actually contributing to it, in fact, paying for the privilege of contributing to it by purchasing these slave devices and carrying them around everywhere and dutifully uploading all of our information to various social media platforms, etc. Well, at any rate, there's a long way to go towards even public education that makes some sort of thoroughgoing solution to this problem even viable. If there even is one, have we passed a point of technological no, re no return where, sorry guys, your face is just out there and there's no way you're going to hide from this web of devices that are out there to track you now. Is that the case? Maybe so. Um, even so, even if it is, is there no point whatsoever into wearing clothing or using laser devices or other things to at least temporarily disable certain devices or what have you? Anyway, there's a lot to talk about here. And as usual, I'm not here on a cloud telling you this is, this is the solution and this will solve all your problems. No, there are many different problems for many different people in many different situations. And you, out at home, you get to decide what you are going to do and how you are going to do it. And hopefully you can report on your successes and failures on that regard. And we can all learn forward um, from here. So that is the task for people out there. If you are interested in doing so, obviously I'm interested in hearing back from Corbett Report members in the crowd who have their own thoughts on this subject. So you can go to corbettreport.com slash solutionswatch dash face for all of the show notes, all of the links to everything that you've just read and watched here on this edition of Solutions Watch. And also, of course, to leave your comments and suggestions and your own ideas about what we can do about this problem. Uh, I think it is a problem. It's going to become more and more of a problem as we go forward from here. And I think we should at the very least be thinking about it. And that is part of my task here at Solutions Watch is to get us uh, oriented towards the solutions. So I will continue doing that. But having said all of that, that's going to do it for this edition of Solutions Watch. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to talking to you again in the near future. <laughs>